leadership show that focuses on excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts, and accountability. I'm your host, Mac McNeil, and today our special guest is Shantae Hooks. Shantae is a dynamic leader who talks about how her journey led her to her life's purpose as a mindfulness expert. Enough said. Let's get to it. Welcome to the show called My Great Aunt Edna, the leadership show that focuses on excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts, and accountability. I'm your host, Mac McNeil, and today we have a very special guest, Ms. Shante Hooks. Shante Hooks is a keynote speaker and CEO of Mindful Culture Creators. MCC's mission is to reduce world distractions by bringing innovative, culturally connected mindfulness programs to people of color, women, and other undeserved communities. Join the movement. And with that, I'll introduce you all to Shante Hooks. Shante, how are you doing today? I am wonderful. So excited to be here. And thank you for having me here today. Yeah, thank you for joining. Uh, really excited. Of course, you and I go back a little ways. So I know a little bit about you, but you've taken on some new things now um, that I'm really excited about. And I want you to be able to tell the audience a little bit about what you're working on currently. I guess I guess I'll tell you a little bit about this interesting journey that I've been on, you know, for the last four years. Um, so I teach mindfulness and meditation, and I also speak about mindfulness and meditation. Um, but you know, like most people that are speakers, that's not something that you typically uh, just go to school to be a speaker. Um, so my story is that I actually started my career in accounting. Uh, I'm a CPA and started my career working in public accounting with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And did that for a few years and then went into internal audit and other disciplines of risk management and compliance and governance. Uh, and, you know, I say all that to say I, I, I sort of had a very logical way of being and thinking and mindfulness and meditation did not fit into that, you know, sort of bucket for me. Uh, so up until about maybe four or five years ago, I was really a non-believer. I, you know, was not okay. a practitioner. I didn't understand it. My, I have a brother, a younger brother, who is very mindful, and I think he came out the womb meditating. Uh, he is a uh, music producer by trade, so he gravitated towards, you know, more esoteric uh, types of thinking and being, um, and he would talk to me about it. And my father was a meditator, but I just didn't, I didn't buy into it until, you know, life just started to get difficult. Um, and my story around difficulty, you know, part of it was becoming a new mom. I have a five-year-old son, and around the time that I had my son, I was really looking for something other than traditional therapy and, you know, any, you know, just to kind of help me out through life. Um, and then I got this new job, you know, that was just a challenge, unlike any challenge I had ever had before. I was promoted into VP of Transformation, and my job was to actually identify and implement automation solutions um, using robotic process uh, automation and other machine learning AI technology. And, uh, you know, to be a black woman serving in that space uh, was not free from challenge. Uh, you know, a lot of resistance, you know, first and foremost to the idea of automation, right? right? It's right. a topic that causes fear and anxiety amongst those being impacted. And in addition to that, this was the first time in my entire 20 year career that I had ever been the only black person on a team and, mm -hmm. you know, really experiencing the microaggressions and the mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, the, the people not really seeing your value. Uh, and it was a very frustrating experience. Uh, and that really pushed me into looking into meditation. And then finally, I got it. I watched a YouTube video that, you know, sort of explained it in a way that it finally clicked. And I got really interested in the topic because there was so much data to support it now. So much data explaining why it works, how mm. it impacts the brain, how it impacts your, your uh, emotional regulation, studies showing the impact that meditation and mindfulness have on your compassion, your empathy, uh, everything. And so I just became a nerd about it. Uh, watched <laughs> all the documentaries and you know read all the books. And, uh, and this was six months before COVID. So it was almost like I went into like deep training uh, just in time for the world to shut down in 2020. And at that time, I was actually starting to, you know, really thrive in my role. I was starting to, you know, identify solutions and I was coming up with ideas where people were like, you know, why didn't we think of this sooner? You know, and so I knew it was working. And my team was also struggling because of COVID. We were managing, you know, call center uh, populations and just, you know, extremely hectic from an operational perspective. And I said to my manager one day, really feeling really empowered, you know, mm -hmm. that's what part of what mindfulness gives you is boldness and courage. And I said, you know, I would love to just maybe have a talk, you know, do a talk. I like speaking. You know, I've always liked speaking. I, you know, why not? I, I don't mind, you know, doing a talk and just kind of sharing my story and my father's story. And uh, she's like, please, you know, and I did it and started a community from that. You know, I was like, you know, hey, if anyone else is interested in talking about this stuff and being a nerd with me. Join me every third Friday of the month, you know, and we'll get together and powwow on mindfulness and five people showed up and then, you know, 10 and then, you know, 18 months later, 500 members wow. um, and, you know, uh, cross-functional teams reaching out to me and saying, hey, I hear you do this mindfulness thing and we have a problem. Uh, how can you help us? And so I started to sort of have this process of you tell me a problem and I'll tell you how mindfulness can be a solution to that problem. And so I started developing workshops. And uh, one day it dawned on me that, I've, you know, I've served I've serviced over like 5000 global employees. Oh, wow. Yeah, I could maybe do this, you know, outside <laughs> of these four walls, you know, so I, that's, you know, 2021, I launched my company, Mindful Culture Creators, uh, to really be an organization that 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 helps other organizations bring mindfulness into their culture, because mm -hmm. it will help you achieve your strategic goals. It will help your people not only be more well, but be more effective, be more focused, be more compassionate, all the things that we say we want and need in this world and we're paying billions of dollars to train people on mindfulness is, is a solution that can sort of uh be a brain hack so that people mm -hmm. actually retain the, the billions of dollars worth of training that you're giving them they now have the mental environment to retain that information so thank you for that for giving us the background on that um a couple of things that came out of that for me first of all i want to commend you for being bold enough to start out and saying you know i was not a believer yeah. You know, this this wasn't a thing that I was into my entire life that I, you know, practiced, I approached. Um, but then, you know, you talked about how you arrived there. So one, I commend you for doing that. It takes leadership and boldness to do that. Um, but the other thing is the two worlds seem so different when you talk about robotic process automation. And, you know, I'm involved in that as well. And you think about mindfulness, which sounds like it's something that's a little bit more eclectic, hippie kind of thing, you know, two worlds apart. But yet you were able to bring those together while you were still in that um, RPA role. So talk a little bit about that, like, you know, the the left brain, right brain thought of, you know, let me be logical with RPA and then, you know, what you do with mindfulness. Ah, what a great question. No one's ever asked me that question before. And I think that's a great, great question. So there's actually a really, uh, a really interesting and obvious connection 
between mindfulness and technology. First and foremost, if you think about like sort of the history of mindfulness in Western culture, uh, it started in the, um, you know, in the Bay Area, you know, our, our mm -hmm. big bang of that was in the Bay Area, which is the tech sector. And so uh, one of the things that really I found interesting when I when I first started learning about mindfulness was the way that other particularly technology organizations were embracing it. And again, mm -hmm. this is pre-COVID. So while mindfulness was still sort of having a, you know, a pop culture moment um, in modern society with, you know, exposure, um, it, 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 this is still pre-COVID, right? And so I was reading, you know, really interesting articles on Forbes and, uh, you know, Inc. Magazine and, you know, that, that were talking about, you know, what Salesforce was doing uh, mm -hmm. to bring mindfulness into their organization. Uh, I, I have a, a deep background in uh, finance as well. Uh, Ray Dalio is, you know, has written tons of books on how mindfulness and meditation are such a big part of his success as one of the largest hedge fund managers in the world. Um, so I immediately saw this really interesting connection between mindfulness and, you know, logic, because what mindfulness is, you know, really simply my definition of mindfulness is uh, being in the present moment on purpose with an attitude of non-judgment. And so when you break it down that way, you can sort of see it outside of the mystical, esoteric, even spiritual right. uh, way that it is sometimes, um, you know, sort of described. And I do I, I do have that path right now, right? And not mm -hmm. so much before. I totally get it now, the interconnectedness <laughs> of everything. And I speak that language very well. Yeah. Uh, and I can understand, you know, how uh, mindfulness and, and explaining mindfulness to people is the same reason that algorithms work. Right. The way the brain works and the programming that we have within our brain and, you know, mindfulness is sort of the act of shutting down the computer so that the, the so that the programmer can actually go in and change the code. Right. Ooh, that's a good and so, yeah. That's good. So like yeah. exactly. And so you have these downtimes in technology to allow for space for change. Right. And if you think about how that applies to our natural lives. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, having the downtime to actually create and activate change and transformation in your life that happens in the downtime and yeah, most yeah. of us are not intentional about that downtime however programmers are very intentional about when they shut the program down yes, they to are. change the code right <laughs> absolutely exactly. they are yeah exactly so you know i feel that if people saw uh meditation mindfulness and even some of these more spiritual conversations using the analogies that resonate with them so if you're a technologist it's really clear, you know, it's a really clear connection on how the two fit together, but maybe technology is not your thing. Maybe you are a, a numbers person, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really into numerology and it makes sense because I was an accounting major. I actually really, and I really appreciate the uh, exactness of numbers mm -hmm. and you can use numbers to sort of explain why mindfulness works as well. There's all these different ways to explain the same thing because everything really is the same. And once you understand the patterns, you start to really uh, appreciate, you know, these disciplines for not just this new age, you know, sort of ideology, but right. true, true presence, right? True presence that, you know, activated Silicon Valley, that activated some of the largest technological advances in modern culture that was born in the epicenter of Western mindfulness. Outstanding descriptions. As you were speaking, I could visualize everything like, oh, Good. that makes so much sense. I, you know, I get it. Because Good. immediately when you say mindfulness, you know, especially to people that are involved in science or data or something like that, you know, they're thinking of floating on clouds, you know, something right. a little weird, right? You know, do we have to yeah. light incense, those kind of things. But I love the way you just broke that down. And my mind operates in a logical format. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. So appreciate that.
So uh, my next question is for you. So you've been in corporate leadership in multiple positions. You've already talked a little bit about that. Um, what did you learn during those corporate experiences, both good and bad, that you've taken with you in your mindful leadership efforts? Oh, my God, so much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> you know, uh, first and foremost, um, in my corporate leadership experience, I have had the pleasure of, you know, reporting to a number of managers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had the pleasure of working at, you know, working with just one of the best managers of my career. Um, he he recently passed away. And when but when he hired me, the very first thing that he told me was he recognized that I was a different type of leader. Mm-hmm. And he really gave me space, um, you know, explicit space to be the brand of leadership that I am, which is visionary. Like I am a very vision as, as logical and as tactical as I can be. I thrive when I can develop a vision and have others execute on my vision, right? And so he really helped me understand that that's the environment that I work best in. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you have to sort of, in order to really appreciate that leadership style, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of executing through others and influencing others. And in the role that I was struggling in with the the technology role, part of the reason that I was struggling, and I can say this now, I couldn't see it at the time, was Mm -hmm. because I was not being that visionary leader. I was trying to do the work. I was hesitant to delegate because I still had these uh, sort of outdated belief systems that said right. I needed to do all the work, that I needed to prove myself, that, you know, and yes, the the structure that I was in, the team, the team was not set up, you know, for me to succeed. Uh, and and I certainly could have used greater support and, and greater leadership. Um, however, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. it's up to me to see the problem, see the cracks and apply the solution. And I was not mindful in that moment, so I could not see the cracks. And so the the what I what I'll say, you know, to kind of wrap that up is, you know, mindfulness is a tool that can really give you the ability to not only see your flaws, but see them without judgment so mm-hmm. that you can actually change them. And that has been the biggest, you know, sort of benefit, especially now that I'm on this owner's journey, right, of really starting a business um, by myself. So, again, I don't have a team, right? I don't right, have right. a structure to, you know, execute it the way that I would like to. Uh, however, it's giving me space to make mistakes and to, you know, really just get ugly with, you know, how I feel and the anxiety and the pressure and the imposter syndrome, not feel like I have to be perfect uh, yeah. and, and, and then change my thought, you know, allow the space, allow the room mm-hmm. for the aha moments and then actually apply action to that. And I, I feel like in the last two months with really being intentional about that, I wrote, I wrote my, some of my accomplishments down the other night. I've accomplished more in two two months than <laughs> I sometimes have accomplished in a year, you yeah. know, and it, and I, I credit that so much with, you know, really being disciplined about my mindfulness practice. I practice every day. I do Qigong. I do seated practice. And it's now a part of my lifestyle, so I don't have to have as much formal practice. Uh, but because I have incorporated that into my lifestyle, I'm just much more effective and I can handle the bumps, the bruises, the ugly with yeah. just more grace, ease and efficiency, <laughs> if that makes any sense. No, it does make sense. And I'm, I'm picturing people that are listening to this right now, like, oh, my gosh, I want to get to where she is, you know, in life. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, she has it figured out. This is working. Um, but I like the fact that you keep bringing up the word ugly, you know, ugly, ugliness, the imposter syndrome, that that's still going to happen. It still occurs, which is why the whole mindful journey is so important and understanding that. Um, so 
Shante, so when it's all said and done, what is the desired outcome of your leadership impact that you are attempting to accomplish with this? You know, the the real outcome is to help people see the value of of stillness. Mm-hmm. I think we're in a we're in a society right now that and that's why you know part of my mission is really like ending world distraction. You know, I really envision, you know, having like the statistics saying, you know, world distraction, I want to reduce it by, you know, 60%. Um, we're so inundated with information and yes. tools and technology yes. and people. And, you know, we have literally everything at our fingertips. And I'm not sure that our friends in Silicon Valley really considered the risk of, you know, of all of the abundance that we now mm-hmm. have at our fingertips. Um, so it really behooves us. And I, I like using risk management as, a, as an analogy to explain this. The, the environment is not going to change, right? It, it's sort of static. Uh, mm-hmm. It behooves us to develop risk management strategies that allow us to be present because it is that presence that will help us get through that, to navigate that, to actually, you know, something as simple as having the courage or or the, you know, the, the, the freedom rather to actually mm-hmm. put your phone in another room while you work so that you can focus for an hour. Right. But we will have anxiety about that because we're afraid we're going to miss a call. We're afraid we're going to miss this. We're afraid that, you know, the or literally the, the literal feeling of anxiety when you're just mm-hmm. when you're just having you when you don't have access to something that you're addicted to. Right. Because that's what yep. we're talking about here. Uh, the courage and the and the resilience and the strength to be able to just put your phone in another room and the productivity that that could unlock. Right. Um, but it but it takes it takes a certain amount of presence to activate that. And so really the, the, the mark that I want to leave, you know, really is to increase, you know, increase people's awareness through mindfulness and meditation so that they're just more effective at doing life the way that they want to do it. It's a great desired outcome. You know, I thought you were going to yeah. go another direction with that answer, um, but that's a great desired outcome, you know, yeah. understanding the value of stillness, which I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not there yet. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah. you know, I'm one of those guys I'm always doing. And if I'm yep. not doing, my mind is always running, you know, yep. that, that thought process and, you know, productivity. But um, I love where you're going with that. And, so, and can, no, I, can, I, can I say one thing? About yeah, that? absolutely. You absolutely. know, the, the interesting thing, and I, and I do a lot of work in, uh, in male spaces as well. I've done work mm-hmm. in fraternity spaces and uh, in other spaces that, you know, that are primarily ma- male. And I hear that a lot, right? You know, I think there is this sort of stereotype of mindfulness and stillness and meditation as being a tool that is is feminine or is is not or just you just don't see the value. There's a lot of right. there's a lot of stereotypes around these terms. Period across a multitude of communities. Um, but what I like to to um, to tell people is that this is no different from a an a, a world class athlete, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a world class athlete sort of really prioritizing their mind because they know that it's going to benefit them in the game, right? And there and there's so many um, sports analogies that, you know, I could use to explain the value of stillness. But, you know, the thing that I'll leave you with is sometimes, you know, like you said, your mind is racing and you want to get to the, to the next thing and multitask. Sometimes just practice sitting with that. You know, mm-hmm. it's a challenge. And I feel like men can appreciate the need and value of a challenge. Right. So if you see this as a challenge that you set a timer, it's not something yeah. that you have to, you know, really, you know, go for a walk in nature and change your lifestyle and do <laughs> yoga. It's not that. Sometimes it's literally just a challenge. I'm going to sit, set a timer for five minutes and I'm just going to sit here mm. and I'm going to see what comes up and I'm going to see how I feel on the other side of that. 
And when you challenge yourself to do that once, you typically find that you find value. You, you'll find the value. You'll see it. And then you'll, you're, neurologically, you'll want to do it again. I like it. Good coaching already. <laughs> um, I just got free coaching, you know. I might, there you go. You can, see, you, can, you can send me an invoice later. All right. There you go. So here we go. So as a Black woman in an emerging market of mindfulness, health, and personal awareness, as you just talked about, what challenges have you faced to get others to buy into your leadership ability? Not your ability in understanding the practice, but your leadership ability in this. Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting space um, because it is in Western culture, mindfulness is is a very uh, white, uh, it has a white, a white face to it right now. Mm -hmm. And what that, you know, will often imply or, or sort of mean is that, you know, practitioners in the space are um, very academic. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of folks in this space, they come from either academia, spiritual paths, um, and clinical paths. Um, and so, you know, being a leader in this space means that I really have to embrace my authenticity. That's the biggest um, sort of leadership lesson that I've learned. When I, when I, success, when I succeed at, mm -hmm. you know, selling my brand of mindfulness, which is very different. You know, there, there are not very many people that talk about mindfulness the way I do uh, from, a, from a business perspective. I also, being a Black woman from Detroit, Michigan, a lot of my practices include my culture. You know, it includes hip hop music, it includes jazz, it includes, you know, things that resonate with, uh, with people that are sort of underserved in this community and, and, and in a brand of mindfulness that sort of looks one way. I try to help people understand how mindfulness is literally everything. Um, and so, you know, sometimes there's challenge with that. And, and sometimes, you know, I have to just really accept that my brand is not for everybody. Right. You know, and really be OK that, you know, sort of, you know, utilizing the 1000 fans um, sort of ideology. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but this, you know, sort I'm of not. ideology that, you know, we don't necessarily need a million fans or a million mm -hmm. customers. You know, sometimes, especially at the beginning, you only need a thousand core followers, fans, customers, what, what, whatever it is, uh, and, and they will help, they will be your influencers and they will help you grow that fan base. Um, so really understanding that right now, I'm just trying to attract the people that are attracted to my brand. Um, I'm really clear on my why. You know, I have a really a, a really solid understanding of why I'm doing this. And I'm OK if, you know, others that choose to, you know, teach and, and sort of promote mindfulness in a very academic way, they may think that, you know, my methods are not valid. Right. Mm -hmm. They, you know, and I've sort of had com interesting conversations with thought leaders in the space where we disagree and we bump heads um, and we allow room for that. You know, we allow room for that disagreement. And I know that there are, you know, that, that my brand is necessary uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, I get the feedback. You know, I'm hearing from people that are being impacted. I'm hearing from people that are changing their habits that especially men, you know, men that are telling me that, you know, they are now finding their form of mindfulness and or they're understanding how they are already mindful. And so they're giving them they're giving themselves neurological credit for the ways that they're already practicing mindfulness. So now they're not saying I'm not mindful. I don't meditate. Oh, I do. It's through my fitness. It's through my puzzles. It's through my my you know anything that I do to create focus and get into flow. That is my mindfulness practice. So I know my brand is working. I focus on being my authentic self, bringing my authentic voice to this space, and you know really just leading with confidence because you know oftentimes as a black woman, you know we do struggle with imposter syndrome, and we will allow our voice Voices and allow our, you know, ourselves to shrink into mm -hmm. the background. I have certainly done that in my career, and it's never served me. 
It's never served me. It was not until I started to really be bold, be, you know, be as loud and sometimes abrasive and be willing to like kind of be a bull in a china shop every now and then. Uh, you know, when I really embrace that that is who I am, and I'm from Detroit, you know, it's kind of like, it's just sort of like what we do, you know, once I really started embracing that, coupled with my skill set, coupled with my calm demeanor, everything just sort of unlocked, and, and now challenges, you know, just sort of resolve themselves really effortlessly. Great answer. A couple things. One, you mentioned hip-hop. You got a little tribe called Quest thrown up in there. Oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> You know, a little tribe, a little yeah. comment. I mean, I mean, what are you playing? You know, oh what's working? Tribe Quest. So here's a tip, you know, to anyone that is, you know, looking for ways to get into flow, uh, which, you know, flow is the state of mind where when you're locked in, when you're focused and, uh, you know, really free from distraction, able to execute at a high level. So one of the techniques to get into flow is to actually listen to certain types of music, uh, particularly music that is repetitive. Mm -hmm. And that is free from lyrics, that is only instrumental and and something you don't have to like change anything. You're not going to get interrupted by commercials or anything like that. So YouTube uh, is a really amazing place where you can find instrumentals where the the uh, content creator has created sort of a one hour or two hour loop of that instrumental. And one of my favorite uh, tracks to play not only in practice, but as I work and get into flow is electric relaxation. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yep, yep. It's and it starts with the you know the 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 um, sample, uh, which is a Ronnie Foster uh, you know song that is an amazing jazz uh, jazz tune that I also use in practice uh, to guide um, to guide people through mindfulness and meditation using that song. Uh, but the but the the track it's like an hour and a half long. And it loops. It's a very mellow sort of, you know, vibration. So it allows me to really lock in and get focused. And I know, and then it's sort of a timer. So I know after when it ends, I can congratulate myself for being focused for an hour, an hour plus, right? Wow. And so that's so that's a tip, you know. And there's a, there's lots of the tribe called Quest is my go-to for uh, for those tracks. Uh, Lyrics to Go is another one mm -hmm. that's like an hour and a half and you just put it on and you know, you I really get creative. I, I execute some of my best work listening to hip hop um, instrumentals. It's amazing. You and I didn't even discuss that and and, I, yeah. know, and we're aligned on that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And then I did want to mention one other thing you were talking about, you know, being a black woman and, you know, being that bull in the china shop sometimes where you have to be bold and it reminded me of a book, I'm just throw a plug out there, but there's a new book out. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's called I'm Not Yelling. Um, you can, yeah, you can find it on Amazon and all, all kinds of places, but I follow the author on LinkedIn and uh, she writes about, you know, being a black woman and when you're speaking, uh, you know, you're not yelling, but sometimes it's perceived as that when you're being assertive. But um, yeah. I think that might be, you know, just a good route to, to read into that, but um, another great answer. So I'm gonna change gears just slightly. Uh, you know, from the mindfulness, but I know you're also passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so what knowledge and tactics can you add to corporations who may desire to actualize their DEI aspirations, but may not know where to begin to make it a reality? You know, you know, DEI is an interesting topic because it, it's fairly new, right? And so mm -hmm. the number one thing that I would tell people that are really working intimately in DEI spaces um, and are really passionate, right? You know, this is work that people do because they're passionate about it. They mm -hmm. really want to see change in the workplace. They really want social justice to be at the forefront of, you know, conversations, uh, you know, where, within organizations. And, and sometimes it's, it's hard. You, we can lose sight 
of the fact that for some of these programs, they literally were just created post George Floyd. And so sure. even the programs that were created prior to that, we all have to allow, you know, grace for ourselves and for the organizations to really understand uh, and those that are that are resistant. You know, mm -hmm. like a lot of there are a lot of people that still don't understand DE&I and or buy into it. Right. And I like to neutralize things. Right. You know, and I, I, I am a social justice warrior. I you know, was raised um, by parents that, you know, were were, you know, sort of pan-African and sort mm -hmm. of their ideology. And so I, you know, totally get the the you know, the importance of, you know, resistance. And I appreciate the, you know, sort of the value of neutralizing these topics, because what you have is a population of people that just they don't see the value. Right. Mm -hmm. And in every organization, that's something that an organization is going to struggle with. There are going to be people that don't get the value and you have a couple of choices. You can either say, you know, this is what we're doing. And those that don't that don't want to get on the value bus, this is you know, they can exit or you can figure out a way to influence them. Right. And so part of that is, you know, that influence. And I think I mentioned this earlier, being an effective influencer. Um, because that's the job of a of a DEI, you know, of a DEI DEI team. They need to be influencing. So something that you know organizations can be investing in for their DEI staff is training them on how to be better influencers. Right. Not just you know, not just training them on how to you know talk about social justice and how to talk about race and how to deal. Because a lot of times you know these teams they get into a real sort of tactical reactionary. Um, mm -hmm. scenario because everyone's coming to them with their DE and I challenges, right? Everyone, right, everyone right. thinks their problem is a diversity problem or equity problem or this problem. And sometimes they're just management problems. Sometimes <laughs> they're just leadership problems. Sometimes yes. they're HR problems, right? You know, so, so it takes, it takes a certain level of courage to be able to, you know, redirect people to the right place, number one, but also to, to remain focused on the fact that, you know, my job is to influence. And so I need to be focused on influencing. And if I, if my, if my team is not investing in me, being an effective influencer, being an effective uh, storyteller, right? Another big part of DE&I is being able to tell stories. Then it's up to the DE&I person to ask for that, you, that, you know, that training, ask for that guidance, ask for that exposure, uh, because influencing is a, is a buzzword right now, right? You know, there's so many different ways that, creative ways that you can invest in your team's ability to be more effective at influencing. And so I think that if, if we started breaking down these hot topics in more neutral ways, we would see the cracks, see the problems, and then really see very apparent solutions to very solvable problems. Great answer. I think you're the first person that has ever started with providing grace to organizations and thinking through DNI. Like uh, I don't think I've ever heard that before. I was thinking back through the conversations I've had and the interviews I've conducted, and people don't normally start out with that. But that's you're you're right. It's fairly new, although the issues aren't new. Right. DEI in a structured format in corporations with, you know, new C-suite level uh, executives, and that's their mission. It's fairly new. So that's a good thought and that we should provide grace. And then the other piece, the influencer, although I knew that, like, I've never said that out loud before. Yeah. I, like, I think that's a huge point you just made. And, you know, the coaching of the teams that are formulated and a lot of times we just pick people because, you know, they are color. And so they have experiences that they can share. But sharing the experiences don't necessarily influence people to think about business differently. So that's another great point that you just made. 
Yeah, and I wanna I wanna touch on what you said with new. Um, I remember I listened to a um, a live with uh, civil rights activist um, Angela Davis, and she mm -hmm. made a really good point. This conversation was around um, social justice, social change, and she made a really good point. You know, from the perspective that revolutions take time, by definition, like mm -hmm. a revolution is a long process, right? right? And we are seeing a revolution in work, right? In a lot of different areas, DE and I being one of them. And so while, you know, we may, you know, really be inside of the issues, right? And to your point, the problems are not new, right? Mm -hmm. And the the issues and and the and the 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 fact that people should know certain things that they don't know. Yes, all of those things exist and the revolution of, you know, changing organizations, it takes time. And and we and if we if we don't have a proper and I love the way she put that, you know, really giving ourselves grace in this moment of social change, um, because this was at the time of the George Floyd unrest. You know, she really sort of calmed the audience down with helping them understand that, you know, even per, from a perspective you know, level, the civil rights movement is not that old. Right. We have not been fighting no, for civil not. rights for that long in this country. Revolutions take time. We have to really show grace for the process, honor the process and do the work, roll up our sleeves, do the work. And if people are not giving you and setting you up for success, and believe me, I've been there before. I've been on teams where I was not set up for success. Mm -hmm. I didn't start winning in those roles until I started setting myself up for success. And that, and you do that by being strategic. And you mm -hmm. do that by looking at the problems and looking for solutions to problems as opposed to getting lost in your emotion. And again, shameless plug for mindfulness. That's why mindfulness is important. Every DE&I team should have like a mindfulness consultant someone to help regulate the emotion that comes up when faced with these really tough problems that other groups don't have to deal with these type of problems, right? right. So mindfulness could be a really a really good tool to activate DE&I. And I actually have a program that I'm going to be launching soon that really connects mindfulness and DE&I and social justice um, in this really interesting way to help support these organizations and these leaders that are doing really important work, help them develop the resilience, the courage, the boldness, and the influencing capabilities to really execute and activate these programs because they are important to our change in these organizations. Excellent, excellent, excellent commentary. So I'm going to jump into my last question. It's a little bit different than the other questions. It's my bonus question. It's my staple question. I ask every single guest that comes on to this show. So Shante Hooks, in the year of 2023, in the culture in which we're in, and thinking about leadership, what one or two things pisses you off that you wish that you could change? Oh, man. Uh, one or two things that piss me off in in leadership generally speaking leadership or the culture of lead you know they were leading in whatever yeah you know the thing that really makes me upset is that people say they want authenticity but they really don't right you know i don't think i think that authenticity is a it's, it's sort of a buzzword right now um and and i think that it sounds good to say you know, as an organization, we value authenticity or as a leader, I value authenticity. Yet the, 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 the moment that someone is authentic and it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's an issue because what people really mean oftentimes is not that they value authenticity. They value authenticity that makes them comfortable, that they're comfortable with. And so, you know, again, the reason that I love this work is because <clears throat> mindfulness is a tool that, that can really help you be comfortable uh, being uncomfortable. 
right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the joy of life is, is when we get comfortable in our discomfort, when we can actually be willing to take risks and be willing to actually hear another person and be willing to actually sit with ourselves and our negative emotions and sometimes just sit in nature and feel like, so that's uncomfortable for many people. Like just mm -hmm. sitting in nature is uncomfortable. And so, you know, when we really challenge ourselves in a practice environment, to be comfortable being uncomfortable, you can take that into the real world. And suddenly when someone is is being their authentic self in a brand that you're not necessarily used to, you're not act, you're not, you know, throwing passive aggressive attacks and, yeah, you know, yeah. and you know, saying things behind, you know, the things that people do in corporate spaces. I've never, mm -hmm. I've never been, you know, in my entire 20 year career, I've never been good at like playing the game. Yeah. Like I, I've just never, it's never been, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've never been on the, in the in crowd, you know, to, yeah. so to speak. I've never been the <laughs> one, you know, like I've always proven my value and, you know, showed up to the party. I'll go to the happy hours and do all those things. But I have always, one thing about me and I credit this, you know, with being from Detroit, Michigan, I've mm. always embraced authenticity in a way that, um, that, you know, others sometimes don't. And so I just really encourage people, you know, to really think about that. You know, to really think about, you know, when you say you want authenticity in the workplace or even in your personal life, right? We, we, we This comes up, you know, in relationships with our significant others, right? We say mm -hmm. we want a person to be who they are, yet then the person that, the, the, the moment that they are the who they are, and we're not, we don't like it, you know, now it's a fight. It's a this. Yep, it's a now that, we have right? problems. Now, now we, we have, have problems. Now we got to right? go to marriage counseling. Damn it, right. I hate marriage counseling. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's like, I think if we really, if we really understood how to embrace and accept others for who they are, because that's what it is. The other side of authenticity is acceptance. And when we start to really accept others and things as they are, as opposed to how we want them to be, mm -hmm. then we will have cultures that are, that, that, that are truly inclusive that truly embrace belonging. Diversity is no longer an issue because we understand and see the apparent diversity and the value of diversity. It's, it's you know, this is there, it's, it shouldn't be that hard to understand why diversity is profitable, right? But we choose to not see it because of our subconscious belief systems, you know? And, and the minute we start breaking that stuff down and in embracing authenticity and acceptance, particularly through mindfulness and meditation, this world will literally, literally change. Love that answer. And you and I are so aligned. We did not practice this. I want to tell everyone that's listening. We did not rehearse this, but you actually just spoke the newsletter that I'm getting ready to release this weekend. So it's called About Last Night. I'll just go ahead and let you know. So okay. everyone, you know, have a newsletter on LinkedIn called My Great Aunt Edna. But the About Last Night uh, is is very similar to what you just said about being authentic and yes, it pisses people off, um, you know, one, because they ask for it, but when they get it, you know, that's not fair. Right. 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 But also on the, on the flip side, it pisses people off that feel that they can't be authentic at right. work. Yeah. Right. So right. yeah, I, I love your response and no, we didn't practice that everyone. And, 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 I, and that last part is so important, you know, um, when it comes to, you know, especially being a black person in the workspace, I can only speak to my own experience. I know that there have been times where I held back because I just didn't think that my brand of blackness of authenticity would be welcomed and acceptance. No one told me that. Right. No one, you know, I hadn't I hadn't really been offended. Sure. Maybe I heard some things that, you know, may have differed from my opinion or my political beliefs and things like that. 
But, you know, did anyone actually, you know, if I think back, you know, um, you know, with real clarity, was anyone telling me that I could not you know, wear my hair this way or, you mm. know, at the time, I'm not talking about the, you know, even the 80s. And I, I you know, grew up in corporate America in the 2000s and the mm. 2010s and the 2020s, right, where there was a shift, right? And so anytime that I chose to wear my hair a certain way, um, and I live in Atlanta, right? So mm. I've always been a part of diverse teams. Um, I still chose to be more, quote unquote, conservative because I just thought that that was the way I needed to do it, right? Mm. That's a me problem. Right. That's a me issue. You know, not that's, necessarily. That's not necessarily. Well, well, to to an extent, to to an extent, yeah. I'm saying from yeah. my personal experience, you know, yeah. in those in those. And I and I only use that as an example because everybody has their own experience. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure we can all think of at least one example where our choice. Yes. To yes. not be authentic. Yes. Was a me thing. Right. Yes. And even with the system being set up, I always say this, you can still choose to be your brand of authentic and risk, right? Take the risk, right? The risk of not being promoted, <laughs> of not being liked, of being Ooh, I love this discussion. You could take that risk, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love this discussion. I love promise you it's two. so aligned with, with what I just wrote. I love it. <laughs> All right, so going to get ready to wrap this this episode up. It's been a great discussion, um, and I've been very thankful to have you as a guest on the My Great Aunt Edna show. But before we go, I want to turn it back over to you. Again, just give us some last words of wisdom. You're full of wisdom. I mean, it's just coming out of your pores or, you know, anything that you're currently working on that you want the watchers and listeners to know about. Yeah, you know, I actually I have a program, a um, a mindfulness learning program, uh, and my my signature program is actually called Honor the Pause. And so that's what I'll leave you with, you know, honor the pause in life and in work. Um, I always say between a thought and an action is a pause. And when we honor that pause, we allow space for our action to perhaps be different, to make choices that really are in alignment with our authenticity, our brave and courageous authenticity. Uh, but you have to honor that pause. And so if you're looking for, um, you know, people to support you, on your journey as an individual or as an organization, uh, please reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Shantae Hooks, as well as on Instagram, Shantae the Speaker. And um, and I do I do this because I'm passionate about it. I give keynotes and I I teach mindfulness in ways that are culturally relevant. And even when I say culturally relevant, you know, I mean culturally uh, in terms of what it is that you do. If you're a technology team, then I can teach you and your teams how to be more mindful using analogies that resonate with your culture as a technology team. If you are a men's group, uh, a faith-based group, if you are a you know a DEI group, really passionate about DEI and activating the leaders within that organization, I can certainly be of service to really just help help you not just be well, because I think sometimes mm -hmm. mindfulness gets lumped into this wellness bucket and it gets lost. You know that it's it's more than wellness. This is mental fitness. This is mental fitness in a I way like that, that we're yeah, we're, and, and it's in a way that we're not currently tapping in. You know, thinking, think about this. I'll leave your listeners with this. Roughly 98% of Americans brush their teeth every day. And we did not always brush our teeth. We did not always buy into the idea of brushing teeth until science yeah. and studies and really smart people said, this is what we should do to protect our hygiene. And mindfulness is in that sort of same wave. Only about 14% of Americans have even tried meditation. 
And so that means that fewer are actually practicing it on a consistent basis. And it's so important to our health, our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health, our professional health, that I am excited to see that we're on the brink of going from 14% of people that have tried it to perhaps 98% of people that are doing it every single day. And I'm one of those people that can be someone that can help you know, get us there. So that's, that's why I do this. Outstanding. So I love that. And everyone, do not hit stop yet because we're going to put Shantae's information up on the screen for those, for those of you that are watching in YouTube so you can reach out to her. Absolute great speaker, a leader in mindfulness, a coach, as she just talked about. Corporations can truly benefit. Um, I love the fact that you, the, the what you're doing with DE&I and tying that into mindfulness as well. Um, you guys, make sure you reach out to her. Uh, and you know, continue to watch the show. I appreciate everyone joining. Hit the like and subscribe button um, if you're watching on YouTube to get updates with other great leaders from all around the world who will be sharing some leadership nuggets for you all. So with that, I say thank you. May your week be excellent and God bless. Thank you for watching today's show. And as I promised, you would hear from a dynamic leader named Shantae Hooks. Shantae's information is up on the screen right now. Reach out to her and find out how she can help you personally or your organization in their journey of mindfulness excellence. And also, I'd like to remind you that my book is available right now wherever books are sold. So please get your copy. And lastly, subscribe to this channel so that you can hear from other great leaders from all around the world and how they can help you in your own leadership journey. And with that, I say thank you. May your week be excellent and God bless.